Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Psalms, chapter 2. I'll read um, verses 1 through 12. Please, when I finish reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers bound together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the hands of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kemi. And thank you all again for Showing up this really early morning. Although some who have been Catholics before will be saying, well, this is early. Mass would have been, I would have been in bed after Mass, after how long? But yeah, I appreciate that uh, change is not always easy and we are, we are gearing up for that. So welcome again. We have been going through a series on prayer and it's a seven-part series and we're praying through the Psalms. So this is the fifth, I think, the fifth sermon, if I'm not mistaken. This is the fifth sermon. I think I should start this way. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm what you call a very nostalgic person. You know, nostalgia is a big thing for me. I like to think about when I was growing up, things, the street I lived in, the friends I had, uh, the films I watched. I often go back. I, I actually daydream about some of these things. The ones that are available, I go on YouTube. I just love it. Nostalgia is a big thing. Reliving the past. And I think there's some of us here that are like that. So you'll indulge me because one of the things I, that I love the most, being nostalgic, is with singing songs, right? Now, I want to sing a couple of songs. The, the, the first one, uh, well, what's that? <laughs> you, you all sing with me. Now, the first one, some of the younger ones here may not know, but, you know, when we're growing up, um, we have to aspire. We have to aspire to something. So maybe someone will help me. Francis, for, 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 for saying that, come, come on. Come on, come on, come on. We have to aspire, you know. Uh, no, no, he's not going to sing, God forbid. No, no, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Come back, come back. 
It's really people that are saying. So we have to aspire to something. You know, my parents, my dad is here. My dad wanted me to be a doctor. He wanted me to be a doctor. So the way we used to do it is, if you go to a particular place, right, maybe some kind of kids' event, and they want all of us to aspire, we start with a song. So imagine Francis is a doctor. Something will be like this. Doctor in my country. Some of you know me well. If you look me up and down, you will know that it's true. Sandalini, Sandalini, Sandalini. Stop it. Stop, 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 stop. Just stop. Stop, stop. What, what's Sandalini? What, what was that? Is it, is it an English word? Is it, is it, is it a Yoruba word? What's Sandalini? It's, what the sandalili is, is standard living. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just sandalili. Now you can go and sit down. Doctor, doctor well, I, I ended up not being a doctor because of... Uh, but, you know, you think, okay, that's a secular song, whatever. But one of the ones that, in fact, the staff, we kind of, I do it all the time. You know, we want to bring out our inner Pentecostal. You know, and so I think of some of those songs. You know, now we sing all this. Um, Yesterday, today, and forever. That's not how I grew up. I grew up with songs like this. When we went to praise the Lord, we started something like this. Pray. We clap like this. Praise the Lord. Praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise His holy name. Sing hallelujah. Bless the Master Jesus, magnify the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Stop it, stop, just stop, just stop. What is O single, single? What's that? It is O sing my soul and praise the Lord. O single, single. Huh? And you're adults now, you've still not updated. But you see, it's all right. It's all right to sing something that is wrong. What is not right is when you've been given the right information and you keep doing the wrong thing. There are many things we've taken from our childhood and we brought it into adulthood and we've not updated it because we don't have the right information. And many times we do that with prayer. And that's why if you need to pray right, it is important to go and get the right information. And we get that right information from the Bible, but even particularly from what is typically called the prayer book of the Bible. So, For instance, what does it really mean to ask for the nations as an inheritance and the ends of the earth as a possession? Maybe we've not been doing it right. We don't know. So this is the motivation for going through the book of Psalms to say, because we believe here at City Church is one of our, uh, the seven things that we want to use to build the culture of this church, prayer. It's extremely important, but guess what? It's important also not to pray amiss. And that's why we want to go through some of these passages. This particular psalm is very important. It's a popular psalm. And one of the things that we will learn is how to pray as heirs, those with an inheritance. And I think we'll find out that what it's saying here is something bigger and more important than we normally imagine it to be because it's something dear to God's heart. We'll learn 
about the progress of God's sovereign plan through his son and our prayers, despite diverse oppositions from his enemies. Well, that's why we titled it the prayer, prayer of the air. Now, to understand it well, it's worth considering in these three, prayer, uh, these three points. One, rebellion against the air. Two, kingdom of the air. And three, prayers of the heirs. Rebellion against the air, kingdom of the air, and prayers of the heirs. Now, I should say, we'll read a lot of scriptures today. It's somewhat a sermon, but also sort of a Bible study because we need to clarify a number of things. But let's go into the first point, rebellion against the air. Now, what you notice in this passage is there are three characters. Three characters, there's an interaction between three groups of characters. And let me first state two of them. The first, as we see in verse 2, is the kings of the earth and the rulers. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. Who are the kings of the earth and the rulers? They are representing, verse 1, the nations and the peoples. Who are the nations and the peoples? These are the non-Jewish uh, people, right? Non-Jewish nations. So we have the kings of the earth and the rulers. And then we also have the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh, that is, the name of Israel's God. So these kings of the earth and rulers are represented non-Israeli nations who are plotting, as you see in verse 1, and conspiring against Yahweh's rule. Verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. He's ruling, but now they want to be free from that rule. Now, the NIV doesn't do much justice to the word conspire, because the word conspire there, the Hebrew word there, it says the conspire tells you what they're doing, but it doesn't tell you the motivation behind what they're doing. This is why King James is not really bad. Why do the heathen rage? This conspiracy is born out of hatred. It is no benign plot. They are motivated by hatred and a passion to see that Israel's God's plans fail by breaking off his rule. Somebody say, but why? Someone say, but why? But why? You see, notice verse 1 doesn't just tell you what is going on. It says, why? The psalmist is puzzled by this conspiracy, this scenario, which is why he says, why? Now, this puzzlement arises from the fact that he sees these conspiracies and plots as amounting to nothing. Look at it. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot what? In vain. Now, why does he say that? Why is he so confident about it? Well, now notice, it's always important when you read the Bible to be aware of the biblical narrative because you can't fully understand it without saying, okay, who is God? What kind of person is he? And all of that. If I was reading some other text, I need to understand when they say the gods will punish this. Who are these gods? Now, in the biblical narrative, this God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he never goes on holiday. He is the one who is enthroned. He rules from heaven. Therefore, if he created this world, and you are in this world, and you are trying to plot against him, you know what it is? It is a waste of resources. It is a crash investment. Cost-benefit analysis yielding enormous cost with no single benefit at all. 
And the reason is because characters that appear in books don't write the rules nor set the boundaries for the book. That's the author's job. And in the story of this creation, he's the one that's writing it. These rulers and kings were created by him, and now they are plotting against him. Well, there's only one way he can react with that. He laughs. He laughs. He laughs at them in derision. He scoffs at them because their, their plot will only amount to nothing. This insubordination is tantamount to saying something about creatures that we aren't. Guess what? We are not our own gods. There's only one God, and if you try to plot against that God, it makes no sense whatsoever. Hence, the warning to align with him in verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Rather than resist his just rule and foolishly rebel, as we see in verse 3, why not submit to him and see that his rule is worth celebrating? Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling, verse 11. The alternative to doing that, if you don't do that, the alternative is to incur his anger and his wrath, which only ends up in destruction. Verse 5, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Or verse 12, he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction, for his, flare, for his wrath can flare up in but a moment. And that's why he says, oh, before I get there. Now, you may be a non-Christian here. And you say, well, this is why I left Christianity. Or maybe you are a new Christian and be like, ah, ah, no, 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 Those are, that's the Christianity of my parents. This God that has wrath, that's going to punish people, I don't want that. Because I know the God that I serve, he's a God of love and a God of forgiveness. To which I say, of course. He is. But you will never find true, deep love without wrath attached to it. Show me. People committed to each other in marriage, get, one of them gets wrathful and administers the consequences when the other party cheats on them. You are deeply in love, you broke the covenant, so what do you expect? Wrath, because of love. Or imagine if you're a parent who loves your kids and you have some, a domestic uh, worker who you, you find feeds them alcohol or you find is showing them porn. What are you going to do? You'll just be mild and loving to that person? No, your wrath is going to flare up. Why? Because you love. You see, in each of these cases, wrath is displayed when the boundaries that depict love are violated. And in the same way, when Yahweh's boundaries are violated in the world that he created and loved, when you violate these boundaries, that starts to bring turmoil and destruction. Even when you don't see it immediately, his wrath flares up. And so what does he do? Lovingly, lovingly, he warns all those, just like these kings and rulers, not to foolishly conspire against him. You know why? It never, ever ends well. Don't. No, but there's another character in this story. We see him there in verse 2. He's the anointed. In verse 6, he's 
my king. That's Yahweh's king. In verse 7, he is my son, Yahweh's son. In verse 12, he is his son. Again, Yahweh's son. Huh. And this anointed and Yahweh are very, very aligned. They are very connected. In fact, what you find is that he, he is the mediator of all of these things of Yahweh. So verse 3, notice what happens. The rebellion against Yahweh is a rebellion against the anointed. Notice. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against Yahweh and his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And when Yahweh reacts in his wrath, his wrath is going to be mediated through this anointed, or now this king. Or verse 9, it says, you will break them. He's speaking about my son now. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And then finally, when he says you should serve Yahweh, in verse 11, with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling, the way he tells you to do that in verse 12 is to do what? Kiss his son. So this anointed, this son, this heir, this king is a mediator between Yahweh and all of these. Who is he? Or who are they? Because identifying who he is is central to understanding this psalm and also how we pray using this psalm. So it takes me to my second point. Now notice again, in verse 7 and in verses 12, this, uh, sorry, the second point is kingdom of the air. Verse 7 and verse 12, this um, anointed and king is also the son. To which I hear the question, ah, isn't God, God isn't human, right? I think I read that God is spirit. So how can God, God have a son? Now again, don't take biological, a biological narrative. And then think about how you think. When you say somebody is someone's son, we then infuse that into the Bible. Take the biblical narrative and understand how it refers to God's son. So, for instance, there are two ways in the Old Testament that God's son is, uh, the reference of God's son points to. One, Yahweh's corporate son. This is the nation of Israel. And to show their special place among the other nations, God calls them his son. So, for instance, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22-23, it says, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. In Hosea 11, verse 1, he says that when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. The nation itself to show God's electing grace on them, choosing them above all the nations, they are called God's son. So God, Yahweh's corporate son. The second is what we can call Yahweh's royal son. His royal son. Now this takes us back to his covenant with David. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 11 to 14a, what had happened was Israel had been ruled by judges, so they didn't have any king. That actually ended up very badly because everyone did as they wanted. 
So eventually, they said they wanted their own king. They chose their king. They chose him according to um, the eyes, and they chose Saul. That didn't end well. So now God chooses his own king, and he makes a covenant with him, as we see in 2 Samuel verse 7, 11b to 14a. The Lord declares to you that, this is to David, to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. And crucially, he says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. So what are you getting there? The kings of Israel and later Judah is God's son. But not just any king. The king in line in David's lineage. So the first person immediately is Solomon. And so when you read um, Psalm uh, 72, uh, Solomon there refers to himself as the royal son. And here it says that the way it works is the king, in some ways, from an authoritative standpoint, represents God to Israel. But when he's speaking to Yahweh, he represents Israel to Yahweh. Do you understand that? And so he is God's son. He acts as God's mediating son. And that is the referent here. The referent here, as you see, is about this anointed king. In Psalm 89, God says, I have chosen my servant David. I have anointed him. The one God chooses is the one God anoints. And so this king, if Israel is God's son corporately, the king is representing Israel and he's God's son individually. But the king in line with David's throne. And that's why this psalm, what is David recollecting? He's recollecting the oaths and the promise that God made to him and will be said to every king on their coronation especially when they are in times of opposition. And we do that, don't we, sometimes? You try to remember something when you are in a time of distress. Ah, this is who I am. There was a time during, um, when I was in primary school, you know, I was a top, top student in primary school. I was usually in the top three, all right? I won't say I always came first. No, I was in the top three. Now, then when I went to secondary school, I started following bad gangs. You know, bad gang. I was just, I was just playing. My position, I remember in GS1, I almost, you know, I almost repeated GS1. I was like bottom 10, twice in a row. And by the time I got GS2, I improved a little bit, but I was still like, you know, lower quarter and all of that. Until one day, my mom was fed up because they tried everything. They shouted, they done, they removed it. She was just fed up. She caught this GS3, sorry. She called me called me to one room, brought out all my reports in primary school, and said, this is who you are. This is before my GSC. This is who you are. And of course, I did very well in my GSC, but they still removed me from that school, or else I don't know. What I, I wouldn't be standing here today if I was still in that school. <laughs> and that's what David is saying. In a time of distress, as you could see, they are trying to rebel against him. He goes back to what was said. You are my son. 
Today I have become your father. But there's something curious about this psalm, though, which is funny. Because you know, when he says the kings try to break, the kings and the rulers try to break their chains and throw their shackles, this assumes that these kings and rulers were already under the Israel empire, the Israeli empire. So that there will be what we call vassal kings, like small kings, like Herod was a vassal king under the Roman Empire, right? You understand? A smaller king, like Oni of Ife and all the other small kings, you know, like the Olawa of Awa and all of that. But certainly not the Awujale of Ife, but let's leave that one. <laughs> now, all these smaller kings want to break off from the Israeli Empire. But here's the problem. The empire was not vast in the time of David. It hadn't spread to have all these small kings. By the time you get to Solomon, it's in Solomon's time, Israel reaches their apex. The kingdom is wider than any other, at any other time in Israel's history. And he does have kings who pay tribute to him. But none of them try to rebel. And eventually, all the kings that come, his son is a complete mess. His kingdom is divided under him. The kingdom gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So when are these, where was it that these kings were opposing him? No. The reason that it's quoted is that this psalm looks forward, further forward, to the fulfillment of this time. You see, what happens is, in Psalm 89, verse 3 to 4, because again, notice what the promise was to David. It says, you said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your, th your throne firm through all generations. And then later it says, I have found my servant David, my sacred oil. Well, anyway, so let me just, I, I, uh, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. I will establish your line, what? Forever. Now, we do know that at some point that line was cut off and then restored. But think about it. If God says, I will make your throne, Bola, I will make your line, your lineage forever. Well, there are only two ways that can happen, you know. One way is this, that Bola's lineage goes on infinitely without end, right? Bola's son, Bola dies, his son comes, he takes on the throne, that one son comes after he dies, and it goes on for infinity. That's how it will be forever, isn't it? Or there comes a successor in Bola's line who never dies. It's one of the two. And so, when the disciples in Acts chapter 4, verse 17 to 18, they are opposed. They are opposed. Why? It says that they were, okay, for, but to stop this thing from spreading any further, what is this thing? It was a message. Among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer in anyone in this name, to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Ah, okay, so this Jesus' disciples are facing persecution and they said they shouldn't speak again. What do they do after that? Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father David. Why do the nations 
rage. And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod, kings of the earth, and Pontius Pilate, rulers, met together with the Gentiles, nations, and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you what? Anointed. You see, the disciples saw the fulfillment of this passage. What was going on when they were being persecuted? They understood that this was that Davidic king that had been promised, whose kingdom will have no limit to its expanse and no ending to its time. In fact, if you read Revelation verse 19, uh, Revelation chapter 19, I'm not going to go there, 13 to 15, you will see that verse 7 of chapter 2, where it says that you will break them with the rod of iron and all of that, is quoted when this Jesus returns and mediates God's eternal wrath before he consummates his kingdom. Then he then say, hang on, but I thought Jesus has always been God's son. Uh, yes and no. He hasn't always been. And yes, in some ways. How? God the Son. Well, you know, as Christians, we believe in this trinity, right? Which means that there are three persons in God, and they've always eternally existed. Now, one of them, the second person, God the Son, has always eternally been God the Father's Son. But he has not always been human. So... At a later time, God, a time in history, God's son became a man. And why did he become a man? Remember, he's a mediator. He can only mediate between God and man if he is fully God and fully man. And so there was a time in history that that happened. When did that happen? Well, Paul tells us in Acts chapter, let me not read Acts because that's so long. Oh, let me read it. Acts chapter 13 Verse 26, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And then in verse 32, it says this. We tell you the good news or the gospel. What God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. Do you see what's happening? He's saying that Jesus was killed, executed by rulers and all of these things. They conspired. And it seems like now they got the anointed and the conspiracy worked because they killed him. But when he was raised up from the dead, they then said, this fulfilled what was said in Psalm 2, that you are my son, today I have become your father. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension to his throne is the fulfillment of how he became God's son. Because he went to David's throne that is going to last forever. Don't get it wrong. He, as, a, as God, has eternally been God's son. But as a human being, 
through the resurrection, he became God's son. And this is the gospel. I wish I can make you see this, but it's very important. So I read Romans chapter 1, where Paul spoke about what his gospel is, the opening part. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his holy prophets, uh, through his prophets in the holy scriptures, regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed to be the son of God in power. How? By the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What are we learning in this psalm too? Hear this. The one whom, whose wrath we must avoid. This, this son who, it says, his anger can flare up. He is the one whose blessed refuge we must receive. Notice what he says. Even though he says, kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who what? Take refuge in him. Why? Because he is the one whom God says, this is my son because he's been raised from the dead. And for us, the good news is, I have installed my king on Zion. The king who lives forever. The king who died for you. The king who, if you kiss, you will find refuge in him. So when this king then asks one question, he's told to ask, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. On the, in the context of this, the fulfillment that it is Jesus' death and his resurrection, what does it mean for the nations to become his inheritance and the ends of the earth his possession? Well, notice two words. Nations, right, and ends of the earth. Say nations, ends of the earth. All right. When Jesus rose again, if you read the apostles and the book of Acts, at the end, he does something. All of them record it, but they record it in different ways. What we've come to call them is the Great Commission. So if you read in John chapter 20, you hear this. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That is John's Great Commission. But I want to point you to two Great Commissions, one in Matthew and one in the book of Acts. In Matthew, you have in Matthew 28, 18 to 19, Jesus says this. Then Jesus came to them. This is now he has resurrected. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the king of everywhere. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations. Nations. I will make the nations your what? Inheritance. So he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. Then you go to Acts chapter 1. The other... Great commission. Again, it's Jesus, but it's recorded in a different way. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth. I will make the ends of the earth your possession. In other words, what is he asking? He's asking for the kingdom spread. How? By discipling nations and being a witness to Jesus Christ. The spread of the kingdom and the inheritance of the nations is basically this. We go and witness about the gospel. Because the, God, the kingdom of God only advances through the message of the kingdom. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by about the word of Christ.
It's a kingdom spread through witnessing and not guns. The Christian way has never been through violence, but through evangelism, church planting of credible witnesses. Let me rush to my third point. Prayer of the years. Now, I hear you say, what has all this to do with prayer? After all, we're not Jesus. Yeah, true, you're not Jesus. No matter what anybody tells you. And you're not God. No matter what some people tell you. And I want to say this. It has everything to do with prayer. Yes, you are not Jesus. But if you're a Christian, you are an adopted son of God. If you read Romans 8 verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then we are what? Heirs. I, I thought he was the only heir. I thought he was the one that ascended to the throne. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with who? Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Ah, so if I ask, I am praying. So the next thing is, how do I apply this prayer? When Tosi and I got married, no, no, when we were about to get married, I anticipated, you know, I'm anticipating her coming. She's coming. I was living in the UK at the time. Very close to my uh, um, uh, school office, uh, there was a Fantastic law firm, you know, posh law firm. And law in UK is not like law in Niger here. Law in UK, I mean, to enter, it's like a cabal. So, Tosin was now, she's a lawyer, and I was thinking, I want my wife to practice law. So, every morning for a number of months, I will go by that law firm. And I, I'm not joking. I will walk, and I will claim it as my inheritance. <laughs> as a son of God. I possessed it. They said, the sons of Jacob must go in and what? Possess their possession. So I spoke. I spoke. I went around. I labored over the place. I did everything. Tosin came. Nothing happened. I sustained. Okay, it will say I didn't call her. I sustained it. Nothing happened. He said my faith was not enough. No, it was doing many things. Nothing what happened. Why? I applied this scripture wrongly. You see, it's similarly wrong to apply this passage for spouses. I don't have a spouse. Let me inherit my spouse. For wealth, for contracts, for cars, for societal influence, for the spirit of excellence. I was reading, I'm sorry, I was reading a particular church who said they exist because they serve in the spirit of excellence and they are called to influence society. That is a wrong understanding of this passage. You see, with the context that I've said, you can understand some of Jesus' prayers. Jesus said in Matthew, uh, Jesus' statements, in Matthew chapter 9, what does he say? Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Go into the harvest field. Is that what he said? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Don't misunderstand it. It's the same book of Matthew. He eventually tells them at the end in chapter 28 to go. But part of the thing that pushes them to go is people who are asking. You want to ask for your inheritance? Then ask. 
If you want to learn how to pray, the Lord was teaching his people how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Again, three chapters before this, Matthew chapter 9. And he lets them know, if you're a son, how do you start your prayer to a father? Our Father. Hallowed be your name. And what's the first request? Your kingdom what? Come. The kingdom has to spread. Your will be done on earth. So you see, those disciples that I was talking about who were persecuted in Acts chapter 4, when they understood that this psalm was referring to Jesus, when it was now time to pray and ask, what do you think they asked for? Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threat and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your name, or through the name of your holy servant Jesus, and they prayed, and the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. Let me read a story to you. Short story, I tried to compile it. In 1549, a French woman named Mary Guise was Queen Regent of Scotland as the nation was in the complete grip of a foreign power. The darkness over Scotland was not to be seen through physical slavery alone, but also through a deep spiritual one as well. At this time, it seemed that Scotland would never be free from darkness, tyranny, and oppression in church and state. The powerful bishops held complete sway in the land. Adultery, nepotism, and various other sins were notorious among the clergy. In that same year, on a coldy, ice, and foggy day, a Scottish prisoner and slave was on board a ship, a thin, a thin man who was already past the prime of his life. His body was worn down for many months as a galley slave. His health was broken, his back was sore, and he had recently been very sick. It had been many months since he had seen his native land. But on that cold and foggy day, although he was weak, John Knox prayed with firm resolve Lord, give me Scotland or I die. It seemed merely the vain and, del and delirious hope of a dying man, the few bold reformers who had dared preach the truth, men like Patrick Hamilton and George Wishart, had been burned to death at the stake, but it was a prayer he kept coming back to again and again. By the time of Knox's death in 1572, 23 years, Scotland was thoroughly reformed. The pulpits were aflame with truth. The lords of congregation were triumphant. Idolatry was outlawed. Throughout the land, the Scottish nobility had boldly united in covenant to uphold the law of God throughout the realm. How many people here can say this? God, give me Lagos or I die. The content of our prayers, when we misapply what the inheritance is, it says more about who we are than who we are meant to be. If you're only ever chasing the things that you want, your own, your spouse, your this, your work, your vacation, your health, all of those things, many of them are good. But then, are you praying as a, as a son of God? Are you praying as a servant? Because the son wants what is important in the heart of the father. And so I'm going to close with some helpful tips on how we can pray. Because here, we do believe in prayer, but we also believe that we have to pray for the kingdom come. 
Essentially, we are trying to live out what it means to say, God, give us Lagos or we die. And we're going to take our cue from Paul in Colossians 4, verse 2 to 4. And I'll use that to say a number of tips for us. If you are writing, please, this is the time to write. Paul in Colossians 4, 2 to 4, listen to what he says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Number one, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. That's what he says. You are watchmen. And that's a serious thing. Don't take it as you are, if you are called to be a child of God, you are a watchman. Also, you are watchwomen. Let's just be. Now, for you to devote yourself to something, you cannot just take it lightly. So, here's one tip. Fix regular prayer times. Don't tell me that, you know, I pray as I go. Yes, do that one, but also fix regular prayer times during the day. It could be 15 minutes of your break. It could be 30 minutes when you get home. It could be 30 minutes when, before you leave the house. Fix regular times or day apart from the spontaneous. That's one, personally. Fix regular times. But two, in that also, notice Paul is writing to the Colossian church. So as church, as a church, you have to fix times when you pray together. In this church, we have something called Kingdom Prayer Day. Kingdom Prayer Day. We specifically call it Kingdom Prayer Day because we are praying for the advance of the kingdom. You need to be there. You should be there. In our gospel communities, we also have prayer days there where we pray certain things about the kingdom. We pray personal things, but we also pray about the kingdom. You need to be there as well. If you are serious about God giving us this city or we die for Jesus Christ, then we need to pray regularly. Pray for yourself to be more passionate about what is in God's heart. Don't just say, I need to pray, I need to pray. You've always said you need to pray, but you are not passionate about it. That's why you don't do it. So pray about that. Pray about the passion that leads to devotion. Be honest with yourself. Lord, I don't feel this thing. And then pray for yourself to be bold and to be a credible witness. What do I mean by that? Some of us, the problem why we can't evangelize, that one person told me um, here uh, that, uh, that works here, uh, that, that um, worships here, she said that in her place of work, she doesn't think she can speak about the gospel because the life that she has lived before that time, nobody will listen to her. I said, you can always start. But that's the thing. Some of us, the way we live our lives, don't make us credible witnesses. When Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, it's not just what you say. It is the, the consistency with how you live with what you say. But also pray for boldness because some of us, when people are talking about their own beliefs and how they live and do all of that, we now feel like, I can't say what I want to say. You know, I don't want to look like I'm, back, I'm, I'm backward. So you need to pray for boldness to speak as these people prayed and as Paul has asked. And you also have to pray for what? To be a credible witness and pray for passion. That's praying for yourself. But notice Paul says in verse 3, and pray for us too. What was Paul? Paul was an apostle. After that, Romans chapter 1, he says, on account of this gospel, he said, I was given apostleship to call the nations to obedience to the gospel. So, pray for people in ministry. When I mean in ministry, pray for the church. The church is the engine room to spread the kingdom of God. Pray for churches. And pray for 
people who are what we call frontier missionaries, they've gone into the nations and be praying for missionary organizations. That what? As Paul said, that God may open a door for their message. Do you know why? Because Satan is working very hard to close the doors to the message. And let me tell you how. So the first thing you need to think about here. When Paul says, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. What is he saying? Notice he said, the mystery of Christ. Many Christians around in Lagos or self-proclaiming Christians don't know the gospel. The reason we constantly project the gospel here. What is the gospel? The good news that the incarnate, crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, is the risen Lord and impending judge of the world. Most Christians don't know it. I have spent three years asking Christians in different forms when they come to my office, what is the gospel? And I hear so many answers that have nothing to do with the gospel. And that's why he said, let us also proclaim it clearly. There is a specific content to the gospel. Paul sometimes says, our gospel as opposed to other people's gospels, even though there is one gospel. And you know why this is happening? A door is being closed. It is the door of deception. There is so much deception being preached in many churches, and this is coming against it. So when we pray, pray for the deception, the false gospels to crumble. Pray for yourself and churches to know and proclaim the true gospel clearly and persuasively. Some people are too harsh. We just want to tell people, you are wrong, you are wrong. And we don't concentrate on trying to persuade them. So do not just pray that the churches and yourself will proclaim it clearly. Pray that we'll proclaim it persuasively. Pray that there will be more focus on the eternal and not the temporal. Not trying to sow seeds that just, you know, secure certain futures that the Bible hasn't promised. And then finally on this, pray for more financial support for the spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel doesn't make people rich, but people need to be funded to actually spread the gospel. These frontier missionaries, churches, all of those things. So that's for the deception. And then the last thing, notice Paul says, for which, the gospel for which I am in chains. One way the door is being closed is by deception. The other way it's being closed is by persecution. I need not say much about that. We've been talking about that throughout this year. But please be praying for people to be protected from the devil and for boldness and credible witnesses in the face of persecution. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We ask that you enable us to be bold, credible witnesses to the praise, to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, your King whom you have installed on Zion the one whose father you are. We ask that we will pray as people who know we have an inheritance in him, an inheritance of the nations and the ends of the earth. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.